0: It's that time of week, the time you've been waiting for, it's time for Goat Gab, a weekly podcast about all things in the dairy goat industry. Sit back and enjoy an hour or so with your hosts, Laura Warren Hughes and Cameron Judlowski, as we talk about ideas and topics that matter to the dairy goat world.
1: Welcome back, Goat Gabbers, to another exciting episode of Goat Gab. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Cameron Judlowski.
0: I'm your other co-host, Laura Warren Hughes. We are so excited to be with you, and um, um, after a short little break, but we are really excited because we have an amazing guest. Uh, for your enjoyment today, we have Mr. Scott Horner. He is the Extension Research Specialist at Prairie Anim University. So, Scott, welcome to Goat Gab, and tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Thank you. I started out with goats in uh, the late seventies, so I've been at it for a little while. Uh, started out kind of as a 4-H project. Went on to to school, in the University of, of at Washington State University. Um, did a degree in animal science, took my first job application when the herd manager position opened up down here, and I've kind of been here ever since. Uh, so we have a, a lot of experience. I've been judging almost continuously since 1982. Uh, we've been involved in a prelinear appraisal, uh, production testing over the years, several under several different formats and forms. Um, Attended a few national shows. Never, haven't shown since a long time ago. Uh, really enjoy the goats. It's always been kind of a lifetime dream to have a job like this, and I got really, really lucky.
0: That's pretty amazing. That is so, just amazing.
1: Scott, so you're an extension research specialist, but what do you actually do as the extension research specialist?
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> primarily, my job is, is herd management. Um, so I manage, we have about, Uh, Counting kids right now, we have something around 200 registered alpines, about 50 boars, and about 125 Spanish goats here. And basically all of the record keeping, all the breeding decisions, culling decisions, allotting the research projects, uh, overseeing the herd health programs, all of that kind of falls to my shoulders. That keeps me fairly busy, and in my free time, I work with extension and 4-H projects, and uh, do other things. So, you know, I kind of work here with goats all day. And then on weekends I go home and judge and go see more goats.
1: (laughs) You're living the goat life for sure, Scott. Pretty much.
0: (laughs) Do you ever get tired of it?
2: No, that's the wonderful thing about this. Um, Every day is a challenge. You know, the learning curve on goats is straight up. So I'm still learning things after all these years. Uh, I think you, you think you get to know something and they will teach you something new uh, just, just to put you down.
0: And how cool to work with those same same animals, you know, generation after generation of improvement. And whoops, that worked great. And uh, that didn't work quite so great. I'm sure you've seen a lot of that over the years too.
2: Oh, we have. Uh, the nice thing about working with a big herd, I've, I can do some things differently with the breeding programs. I don't really try to breed individual animals so much as I pick a style of things that I want the animals to look like and can kind of breed the whole herd and just head that way as a herd. The doe herd basically has been closed. I don't think we've bought a doe in the last 20 years and most of the herd traces back to the original animals that were purchased in 78 and 80 when the center opened. So
1: Scott, one question here, and just maybe for clarification for myself and the listeners, is the At Prairie A&M University, which is located right outside of Houston, correct? Yeah, it's Prairie View A&M. Pra- uh-huh. Prairie View A&M, yes. Sorry about that. Um, that's where the International Goat Research Center is, or the IGRC, correct? That's us. Okay. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we're excited to learn a little bit more about that. Um, as well here but before we move on laura what's happening at your place
0: um well i have a weird story to tell so in and with scott with your extensive experience in goats maybe this is something that you've seen but um as our listeners know i've usually induced my does to kid i mean for a long time we've done that um Just with my work schedule and and so forth, it seems to to work out a little bit better. Um, I had a yearling who was very obviously carrying a lot of kids, Um, just very, very round and a very definite due date on her. And I induced her on about 345 on a Friday morning with the hope that she would have babies on Saturday and um saturday oh i induced another doe at the same time and the second doe kitted at about nine o'clock in the morning on saturday i'm like oh yeah this is great so all day long i kept going out and checking this yearling no babies all night long i kept getting up and checking this yearling no babies and she's not acting distressed she's not in labor um, she's not pushing she's eating she's fighting with the other yearlings. She's acting like a normal yearling, nothing. I'm like, this is, this is just weird. So Sunday afternoon, I induced her a second time and, and you know, all kinds of things are going through my head. Like, did I give a shot to the wrong goat? (laughs) It's just, you know, there's, there's a dry yearling that looks just like her. Maybe I really didn't read the tag on her and maybe I gave it to the wrong one. I mean, I just didn't know what I thought. So, For sure, Sunday afternoon, I induced her again. She didn't have babies again. And I, I mean, I kept checking her and anyway, on her own Wednesday morning, she had triplets. Have you ever run into anything like that, Scott?
2: No. Ours, I mean, we induced a lot of goats. We probably induced over a hundred does this year. And Anything that's gone over 40, 45 hours, basically we've had a malpresentation and we have to go fishing for kids. That's always been my experience too. But
0: this doe was not in labor. There was no malpresentation. Um, When she did have the babies, she had a head presentation with no feet. But it wasn't, she just hadn't pushed the feet out. It wasn't, she hadn't been in distress. All three of the babies were born live no issues. I have, I've just, I am just stumped. I have never seen anything like that before. It was a brand new bottle of little ice. It worked on all the other does. I, yeah. Anyway, that's my weird induction story.
2: Yeah. So I didn't happen to have a cedar still in her.
0: Nope. And no. And I hadn't used a cedar in her.
2: No, we've had those that are just refractory. When we try to synchronize the breeding, they just flat out will not respond. I, would imagine they could do the same thing at kidding time.
0: I guess I, it'll be interesting to see if she does next year. Like if I try to induce her again next year, if that works, I, you know, the only, I just, I just know. So if, if any of our listeners have had an experience like this, I sure would be interested in, in, um, learning that, um, The only other thing, we've got 17 babies on the ground, and that's really busy for me. And then, Scott, when you said what you have on the ground, I'm not busy at all. So (laughs) I'm just going to let that go. Um, That's it here. Cameron, what have you been up to besides buying a new house?
1: Yeah, so we closed on a house on um, Friday. Um, Catherine and I so we're very excited about that I spent a lot of the weekend doing um, house moving in things um, with the uh, promise and working towards getting the barn completed so a lot of people on my Facebook have asked me uh, can I see a picture of the barn well the barn isn't there the barn is currently a horse shed that can fit about probably six bucks in it um, with no storage for hay so that that barn's coming just be patient on that but uh, closed on a house um, additionally, uh, this week, I was also running back and forth between the house and milking goats. We induced six. We had six kid on uh, Sunday. Um, no weird stories like Laura has, um, just <laughs> one that wasn't really cooperating. But Scott, I do have a question about inducing for you. So you said 45 hours you go fishing. I've heard 36 hours. I guess what's kind of the range there? What's everyone think on this podcast?
2: Um, For us – we start the induction at 9 o'clock at night, uh, and most of our goats start to kid about 6 o'clock, you know, a day and a half later. Uh, so we're at, what, 30, 33 hours when we normally start to kid. So, yeah, by, by about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, our veterinarian gets fidgety feet, and she starts to go looking looking to see if there's a problem. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: That's what I've always been taught too. You know, if you don't have kids by 36 hours, you go fishing, but I I just hate, I hate to fish if the doe doesn't even look like she's in labor, which obviously this doe is not. I, that's, uh, it's just weird. Yeah.
2: Yeah. We've had some that just don't seem like they're responding. They'll be out there. Uh, you know, they're still closed up. Everything is still looking pretty normal. Uh, The normal range, I mean, the biological range on induction is 36 hours, give or take 24 uh, is still within the normal, normal range, but yours is kind of exceptional.
0: Yeah, that, yeah. Well, you know, sometimes I think goats live to just make you insane and she certainly did. So (laughs) I just, I don't know. I don't know
1: yeah yeah um working let's see here uh I stopped by uh Catherine's place today and and kind of went through the most of her milkers that had freshen. I think she's got one left of freshen now um so we kind of know where we're at and kind of know what we need to do to get the uh herd down to a good manage, managing level there of her herd and I kind of know what goats are coming from mine um started a new mineral place at my a mineral uh program as well here. Um, just using some generic stuff that our, our feed mill has. So we're going to try that out for a little bit and kind of see what that does. Um, and then we had a Buck Spa Day. So we're excited. Uh, I, I used uh, Laura's Christmas gift that she gave me, which is a pair of those red hoof trimmers. And I did all the Buck's hooves and gave them some supplements and and uh, just a little bit of self-care for them. So that was my week. Did you like the trimmers? Yes, the trimmers were I think I texted you. I said these trimmers are awesome. Uh Laura, I didn't send you the bucks feet that I did, but let's just say
0: um <laughs> they they needed a spa day. I think what you texted me was that you injured yourself with it. I did. I cut myself. <laughs> I cut myself with it cuz it was so sharp. Yeah, they are sharp. Sorry, I, that wasn't the purpose, but they're, we're talking about those ARS trimmers. Scott, if you haven't used those, they're pretty amazing.
2: I've got a drawer full of them. Yes, they are. Yeah,
0: they, <laughs> yeah they're
2: very good. Yes. So,
0: yeah. But Scott, what's happening at your, what's
1: happening on the farm there?
2: Uh, we're wrapping up kidding season. I know some of you guys are just starting out, but we're just about done. Uh, 301 kids have been born so far. And we have four doses a kid this week, and then we are finished. Um, so it's kind of a, a breath of relief for us down here. It sounds like a lot of goats. You got to remember though that I do have a veterinarian full time that's on staff. We've been having vet students, fourth year vet students, coming down from A and M from the vet school helping out. Um, of course, we've got you know the farm crew and a ton of student volunteers. It's really easy to get people to want to come down and feed babies.
0: Is it really okay? Good to know.
2: Yes, we have a lot of student help, uh, which makes our life possible.
0: Yeah, no, that's fun.
2: Cool. You know, the, the COVID years were tough because we freshened as many and they couldn't come down here and that just about killed us. Oh,
0: Yeah, yeah, well, glad we're beyond that.
2: Yeah, so now we're we're kind of cleaning up. Uh, we're getting to be the the tour season for us when all the the schools, you know, the kids are, are have got cabin fever. And they're looking for something to do. And they say, let's go have a field trip to the goat center. And we come out with kind of a recruiting thing for the farm and the university. And everybody has to see the goats. So now it's clean everything up really good and and be ready for a whole lot of tours to come up between now and the end of school.
0: So a question for you, Scott, when I was in high school and, you know, goats were like the most amazing thing in my life, which uh, I guess that hasn't changed a whole lot. I won't say they're the most amazing, but they're pretty amazing. Anyway, I was just determined that I was going to find some school to go to or some um, career that I could do goats full time in. And uh, do you get do you get high school kids who reach out to you because they just love their goats and that's what they see themselves doing all the time?
2: We get a few. I mean, I, I work with the 4-H program a lot down here. Um, we run a couple of pretty big programs in the state that I've had a, a lot of contact with the kids. Uh, or I can kind of help guide them on. A lot of them, you know, they think they're pre vet kids or, or whatnot. Uh, That's Cameron's word. And <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> love it. Uh,
2: but, so, yeah, we, I do uh, a fair amount of interaction with the kids and, of course, with our students, too.
0: Right. Well, shoot. That's cool. Wish I would have known about that back then.
2: Right. You know, I've had this job wrapped up for 30 years and there's only, you know, half a dozen of them like it in the country. So it's a little hard to get into. And I'm not I... real willing to let go of it yet.
0: <laughs> That's a good thing. That's a good thing.
1: So, Scott, do you ever have like young people that reach it that are like my age and say, hey, I want to go into a goat field. And do you have any specific classes that are around the goats at Prairie uh, A&M or, or Prairie State A&M? Excuse me there. Prairie, yes, Prairie State AM, right? Prairie View. Prairie, view. Prairie, view.
2: Prairie, view. Prairie view. Okay,
1: sorry, sorry, sorry,
2: Prairie. sorry. Yeah. You know, we really don't. I mean, our animal science is a program in the College of Ag and Human Sciences. It's not a degree program unto itself. Um, we sort of have the general animal science classes, and that's all we have for animals here are goats and beef cows. So, you know, the kids get their hands on with goats whether they like it or not. Um, but there is no real dedicated uh curriculum for goat production here. It's something we're trying to work on, but at the time that's, that's one of our future goals.
1: Gotcha. Well, that would be exciting. And I know that people like me would, would really like to see that, um, especially as someone that's aspiring to work in, in, in the goat community as well. We always need more goat people is what I like to say.
0: So one thing that we wanted to talk about this week, goat gabbers was our change to an every other week format and I just want to say up front it's not because we don't have the desire to do this because we love, we love doing goat gab. It's um, something that, that we look forward to doing. And uh, it's always kind of, I don't know, for me, it's rejuvenating. It's exciting. I love doing it. I think I speak for Cameron and myself though, that this is a really busy time of year for a lot of reasons and so we hope that uh, going to an every other week format allows us to give you the same quality of uh, podcast that you're looking for just not every week.
1: yeah. and the the biggest thing as well was that there are other things behind the scenes of the podcast besides spending you know the hour and ten minutes to record that we do on a daily I and mean, we a daily week there. There's the editing process. There's the planning process. There's finding guests. There's research. Um, there's lots of little things that we do and we love it. I truly love it. And I've learned so much from it in itself, but with changes in my life, the craziness that is currently, um, goat, having kids on the ground, milking a lot of goats, um, going through and, and, and lots of life changes in my life. Uh, we decided to go to every other week format. So, um, we don't know if this will stay forever, if we'll bring back the weekly format, but
0: for the time being, um, this is how it's going to be. So we hope that you uh, know that we still send lots of goat gab love out, or I'm going to say that anyway, as hokey as that sounds, but it's true. And um, <laughs> you know, we'll just continue keeping on and being open to your suggestions and ideas. And, and thank you for being part of our goat gab family. So, yeah. Um, but So last week we had, the Adga Town Hall. And Cameron, I know that you had a chance to listen. Scott, were you part of that too?
2: I listened in, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I thought it was good. There was some good direction. I felt like a lot of the questions were answered. Of course, there's some questions that always can't be answered um, due to legal- legalities or other things. But Laura, I thought you did a great job on the town hall.
0: Oh, <laughs> Well, thank you. I wish that I had gotten to listen to some of the other ones, um, just, you know, trying to get chores done. And and I know that that was one thing that a lot of people said, gosh, dang it, it's during chore time, but there's no time that's going to be perfect for everybody. Because if you do it before chores, then people aren't home from work. And if you do it after chores, people are in bed. And it anyway, I think it was done at the best time that we could get it to work. And and I I know that as a director, I sure appreciated the questions that were asked um, to uh, our District 5 directors. and. And appreciated the opportunity to share those um, in a public forum and try to get some answers or at least at least a little more um, information so that maybe we all can see that we're moving forward with some, with some good things. So I, I came out of it feeling like that there's good stuff coming down the pike. We just got to wait just a little bit more for it.
1: Yeah, I think I was really excited to see some of the stuff that came out of it as well. And then some of the conversations afterwards um, that were had. And, and, and it's just a really positive direction. I think things are going from where we've been. We can only go up from here is what I'm going to say.
0: Yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. Um, also, in good news, we've got some postal ballots that are out there.
1: Yeah, so uh, a couple postal ballots that have kind of appeared as well here is extending the acceptance of stamp duplicates through September 30th of 2022. Uh, I think that's a no brainer for most people, don't you agree, Laura?
0: Oh yeah, I mean, why not? Why not do that? Because we we certainly know that there are some animals that just aren't able to be registered yet, and I think about our um, friends that have AGS animals that are looking, you know, to move forward and so forth. We know that we're going to have some stamp duplicates for a while. I did want to share, though, I registered a a kid last week and I got the papers today. So, um, you know, for those straight. Oh, and it was an AI kid, too. So I did an online AI memo and it works just fine. So I think I think we're making progress and things for the most part. If it's a straightforward registration, there's not issues with it. So um, accepting that postal ballot, I think, is makes a lot of sense. I think it's important to know, though, that this one is not including the national show yet, but if that's needed, they're going to address that at a later time. So that that comes from the national show committee, not from just in general. So there's a little bit of a territory thing, I think.
1: Yeah. Uh, next thing that kind of came up in the ADGO world was the linear appraisal discussion and potential changes. And boy, oh boy, did was that interesting about how we're going to be measuring uh, stature now.
0: Yeah, there's in that one still uh, it's not a done deal yet, so I think there's still discussion happening on that. There's quite a bit quite a bit to chew on that. So, um, and I don't I feel like that our podcast can be used for better things than to go over that line by line, but um you yeah, know, if that's something that you have questions on, reach out to your directors and ask them ask them to explain their thoughts on that or so forth. I think there's lots of good ways you can look at the things that are in that proposal.
1: Totally. I agree on that one there. And the last one that's coming out is again, um, the next one here is allowing Guernsey's to exhibit at the 2022 national show only as an
0: exhibition. Am I correct Laura on that there? Yes. Just as an exhibition. And, and some of the thinking behind that, you know, the guidebook spells out in pretty clear steps, how a new breed gets accepted to be shown at the national show. And I know that our, um, Nigerians were the most recent breed to go through it. So they know that there's progressive steps that have to be taken. So many animals have to be registered for so many years in the, in the um, ADGA registry. And then you can exhibit animals and you have to have so many animals of so many milkers from so many herds that are exhibited and, and there's steps that have to be taken. What this postal ballot recognizes is that through no fault of the Guernsey breeders, we haven't been able to register those animals. NG's just not been able to do it and we're still not able to do it. So it's kind of giving them a little bit of a buy to concurrently get those animals registered at the same time that they have their first year of exhibition at the national show. What I, what, what I'm concerned about, and I'm just going to throw this out here on the podcast. I'm concerned that, um, so there's quite a few Guernsey breeders on the East coast. So let's say that they make their numbers for exhibition. What's going to happen when it's on the West coast next year? Are there going to be enough Guernsey breeders out there to continue it? Or what about when it's in the Midwest? I, I, I just wonder if the numbers are there to sustain what they want to start this year.
1: Yeah, that that's kind of my question. There as well on the Guernsey side of things. Scott, you've done some judging. Have you seen any Guernseys in your uh, judging uh, experiences there?
2: I've only seen a couple of the, the percentage does. Uh, I think I'll see more because I'm coming up to the northeast shortly in a couple weeks uh, where there should be some up there. But I have not seen a whole lot of them.
0: Yeah. I, I hope that I wish them all the success. I think it's exciting to think about having a new breed and, and I'm eager to see what they bring to the table and and what they actually look like. And, and uh, you know, when they finally get to show as a competitive breed, it's going to be pretty awesome to see these uh, beautiful long brushed coats out there in the ring, I think, but I'm just worried that they're going to run into problems trying to push this before the animals are ready for it.
1: Yeah, and and I'll be honest with you. If we look at what happened with the Sables here in 2007 was the first year they were officially shown after years of being on exhibition. However, they went back on exhibition for a couple of years after that because they just simply didn't get the number of participants needed uh, at that certain show. So really, if you want to set yourself up for success here – and again, I – you know, I'm not a Guernsey hater by any means. I'm a, I'm the biggest fan of showing your goats, as everyone knows on Facebook. However, what I'm saying is that there's a little strategicness in this as well.
0: Right, right. It'll it'll be interesting to see how this ballot turns out. You know, there's also the discussion that pins are at a premium at national show at the national show. And you know, how's this going to work? And there's just a lot of, there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle. It's not just a simple thing to just say, yep, bring them on in. We want, you know, we want to see at the show. There's, there are a lot of pieces that have to work together to make it happen.
1: Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. On that one there. But nonetheless, moving on Scott Are you ready to talk about some of the exciting things that you guys are doing uh, and some of your impact that you've had kind of in the industry here? Oh, sure.
2: I can always talk about goats.
1: <laughs> well, you've come to the right podcast. Yeah. Uh, but but first, we want to talk a little bit um, about some of the work you're doing at the International Goat Research Center here. We want to talk about some of the research that you're doing as well. So you want to kind of enlighten us on some of the research that's happening um, with the International Goat Research
2: Center? Sure. Um, just a little bit of history. We've been here for... Uh, the center opened up in 1982, so we're actually getting right at our 40th, 40th anniversary. Um, and in those time, we've we've covered a lot of things. We do a fair amount of international work, um, and then of course domestic, uh, trying to keep up with everybody else. The the goat center. This is the first one, and still one of the biggest ones in the nation. Uh, from here the people that kind of branched off and they, they opened up Langston University shortly after us, then Fort Valley and a couple other of the goat uh, the research centers the, through the south kind of have all come from here. So right now what we're doing mostly is work in reproduction. We're kind of every every center is kind of picking a niche uh, so that we can be really good at that and collaborate with the other people uh, so that we don't all have to duplicate efforts. Uh, so in reproduction, most of our work right now is uh, working in things to do with synchronization, early pregnancy detection, things like that. So we've been doing a whole lot of really neat ultrasounds um, where we're looking at the development of the follicle in the, on the ovary. Um, totally different than what they're having cows, of course. Goats are, are multi-ovulatory. It completely messes with all the research that the cows have had done. We're having to really pioneer a whole lot of new stuff there. Uh, the neat thing about it is, it's really telling us when we need to be putting these synchronizing things, cedars and things like that, into our animals to get the very, very best results. Uh, and in fact, we have worked to the point where we have improved our our heats and our synchronization heats about twenty five percent over th- with the research that we've done recently. So that's a really big deal. We're wanting to get that out. Um, the other big area for us right now is is meat goats. Of course, that's where most of the funding is coming in right now. It's the meat goat research. Um, and that's, you know, goats feed most of the world. that's still a high a uh, high number of, of the protein. Let me try that again. Um, goats are a significant amount of the protein consumed in the world, whether it's meat or milk. Um, and so getting them produced effectively and efficiently really is very important. So we've dedicated... Uh, a large barn and a whole new f- system of feeding uh, where we're measuring the residual feed intake. Basically, that's what the goats eat in over and above what they need to grow at an efficient rate. Uh, so we'll be able to select, especially our meat goats, for high efficiency. That's one of the genetics things that's very highly correlated. Uh, so we're able to able to select for that. So we'll be able to test and validate uh, some real high-efficiency meat production animals. Um, uh, the fun part of that is we'll also be doing our milkers and we can, we can do with the same thing. We can look at the, uh, efficiency of production of milk also.
0: How cool is that?
1: Yeah. I was going to ask here, just kind of talking about the, the center as a whole. Um, how is it funded? Does it through those grants like you talked about, especially coming from the meat goat side or, or taxpayer dollars or just curious.
2: Most of the money is USDA funds, um, our, all of our base operating comes out of that. We have some special grants that are unique to the, the university system uh, that we're in down here. The HBCUs have some special money uh, that kind of sets us apart, that gives us some, some leeway with things we want to do. That's why you'll find most of the, the GOAT Research Centers at the, the minority institutions down here. And then we have, of course, we have, you know, writing grants is a, is a big part of what our scientists have to do. Uh, and that helps fund a consider- considerable amount of our research.
1: So you you manage the facility, Scott, and then there are other people outside with the science. There are other scientists outside that come in and, and kind of run the trials and, and write the grants and develop all the, the money for it, correct?
2: Right. Um, we staff right here. Right now we have one full time and about uh, two kind of split between teaching and research scientists kind of running the reproduction work and some nutrition work we are in the process of hiring a couple more people to do some genetics and and nutrition work Um, there's a lot of exciting things coming down the road for us it's been kind of a a quiet several years but there's been a a lot of commitment from the university to uh, kind of back up when they they always want to talk about the goat center they always want to show it off on tours now they're actually putting their money kind of into what they talk about and they're letting us get some some uh, faculty and make some improvements in the center.
1: Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, that, that's really exciting there. So uh, with the meat – I kind of want to talk – I kind of want to gab about the meat goats here. I know that's not mm-hmm. kind of the focus of the podcast, but I'm super interested. With those researches and the high efficiency, are you guys trying to um, – learn about the genetics and, and select for higher efficiency of the genetic side of things. Or are you looking for, Hey, this is the feed that's most palatable and in the most efficient in order for a goat to ga- grow the fastest or what are your, what's some of the stuff there?
2: We'll be able to do both. I think the first, the first focus is we're really trying to kind of uh, develop the Santa Gertrudis of the goat world. We're looking at crossing, we're crossing the Boar goats and the Spanish goats uh, where we bring the the durability, the hardiness, the mothering ability, uh, parasite resistance of the Spanish goats in with some of the size and muscling and growth of the boar goats. Um, either one of them by themselves isn't the ideal meat goat. We're hoping that somewhere in the middle is what we're looking for. So we're doing a lot of crossbreeding. And of course, as we go through and we're able to pick those high efficiency animals out of those crossbreeds, uh, really lets us select for a kind of a unique meat goat, we hope.
0: So the meat goats that you're looking for, though, just just maybe to clarify for our listeners a little bit here, you're looking for production meat goats like that people want that want to go out and raise meat goats for actual meat production versus club goats like the show weather circuit kind of a thing. You're not you're not looking at those type of weathers. You're looking at the ones that actually pay the bills. Well, not that the show weathers don't that you know what I mean,
2: (laughs) Yes, uh, we are. We are not playing the show goat game at all with this.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, but thinking about that, so are you working with partners in different areas of the world on this project? Because goats are, I mean, goats are prolific everywhere. Are you working with different partners on this, or, or what's your international reach there?
2: Um, with that, we really don't have our international reach has been much more in disease, uh, disease and parasite control, and general management, reproduction. Uh, this is, you know, we're we're really limited in America. We only have access to, you know, really a dozen, fifteen breeds of goats total. Uh, where you look out in the rest of the world, and there's what two hundred and some breeds of goats out there to work with. Uh, so we're we're trying to work with the best that we have available to us here, and and hopefully that that genetics we can export and see how well they do once we develop something we like here.
0: So as you're working on parasite resistance. Are, are you focusing on, you're, you're focusing on genetic resistance, um, but are you also having an opportunity to maybe try out some new um, wormer programs or a new wormer protocol as
2: you're working on this? We haven't done any really. I mean, we're just like everybody else down here in the South, you know, we're at the mercy of Hamonchus. Uh so we a big part of my time is spent basically trying to manage the herd to keep the the amount of of uh, dewormer we use down to a bare minimum. And whether that's by you know kind of culling out those animals that I'm always deworming. Uh, we do We do uh, famancha and weigh the animals and body condition score the animals monthly. So we've got a really, really good handle on which animals are are having to be treated often or which animals seem to be resistant resilient. Uh, and that that will play into our selection when we start actually breeding these goats. So are you doing that, Scott, or
1: are, are students doing this? or people there? Who's doing the FAMANCHAS and everything else there?
2: Um, I do most of the FAMANCHAS, and then, of course, we've trained all of our employees are famancha certified. Uh, the vet students that come down, when we have uh, the vet students from A&M that come down and spend a couple of weeks with us, they leave here famancha certified. So we're, I mean, we're really trying to push out people that, that know something about animals and about the goats in particular. That's so Gosh, cool. Gosh, I
0: love that. There, there are so few vet programs that have anything that really touches on goats. I just think that's, that's an amazing partnership.
1: Well, kind of talking about that, I, I want to dive back into the diseases, but I want to talk about the vets real quick. Cause I, I, <laughs> I live with a vet now officially. Um, because of that, so you are starting a new program there, correct? Where vet students can come on a rotation down there, correct? Do you want to talk
2: about that? Am I am I right in this? Um yes and no. For okay. the past for the past uh, year and a half, most of the, the food animal vet students from A&M have spent a couple of weeks with us. So we've had, you know, probably 30, 35 students come down and spend two weeks just learning how to manage. And work with the animals and be there on a day-to-day basis, uh, which has really been good for us. We've had a grant that helped with that. Unfortunately, our veterinarian that put that all together is leaving us. She did too good of a job; she got hired away from us. Um, so we're not sure where that's going to be. I know we had we had, before she decided to leave, we had definitely talked about making that a open program to anybody, any of the fourth-year students uh, that wanted to come down and spend time with us, not just Texas A and M. Uh, we're hoping whoever we get hired, uh, whoever applies is willing to to pick that up and run with it because it's been one of the best things we've done in the recent years as far as I'm concerned.
1: That's, that's really cool. I was having a conversation with one of the state vets of Michigan, actually, a couple of weeks ago, um, and he just said there's so much need for goat vets because – Every like everybody's got like five goats in their backyard. And, and and they generally don't know a lot about that as well. So that's such a unique program that could potentially be starting there.
2: So can I throw in a plug at this point? Yeah. Oh yes, of course. Okay. So the uh the application for that herd veterinary position is out there right now. I expect it's gonna close within the next couple of weeks. This is for us right now, it's the twenty-eighth of March. So Uh, if anybody out there is interested, they can certainly contact me and we'll put you on to the, where that application is.
1: Oh, very good. I just texted Catherine, asked if she wanted to go be the vet at IGRC.
2: (laughs) We We are kind of looking for somebody that's got, you know, they need to be able to have had some experience in field work. We're looking for somebody that has, you know, five to 10 years experience, ideally, um, And that's ready to jump in and and teach the vet students and teach our students and everything else. So little practices, practical uh, experience is really good. But we're going to look at everybody because we want to find the right person that fits the team down here.
0: Wouldn't it be cool if GoatGad could help you fill that position? That would just be awesome.
2: Yes, it would.
1: Yeah. Um, I want to circle back around on the disease research that you've done there. Do you can you name some of the specific diseases and research that you've done on at the at the
2: center there? Yeah, most of our work again we is parasite related. Um, we're we're getting ready to be involved in one of the the big BioWarma projects that's coming up. That's that's being spread pretty much between us and Langston. Um, so that's of course the newest the newest greatest thing on the in the available for us for worm control. Uh, we did uh, other work we've done. We're doing some public health things. We do uh, biosecurity training for our farmers down here, uh, biosecurity awareness, especially when you deal with the, it's a little different clientele uh, coming out of the, the systems we have down here. It's a kind of an underreached audience um, and teaching them biosecurity really, really is important. Over the years, we've done a fair amount of work. We've done some work in mastitis and, and prevention um, with the dairy goats. Uh, we've done been involved in some of the vaccine and development for uh, pneumonia vaccines with the goats, things like that. Over several things over the years.
1: That is so cool. That is, I, I just find that there's an underserved niche of, of goat research. So I, and it's, it's glad I'd have a contact now that can hook me up with some research.
0: And I'm sure when you see these drugs that come out that are now labeled for goats, instead of everything being off labeled, it's got to, got to feel kind of good in your gut when you're like, Hey man, we had a, we had a hand in that one. That's pretty cool.
2: That is. That's uh, even just the, the things that you find on like worm or not .com, whatever it is, WormX.info. Uh, you know, a lot of that research we're, we're collaborating in, we're, we're putting, putting the numbers that go into that kind of research. And even if it's not labeled for goats, at least we know it's getting applied to goats properly.
0: Right. Very neat. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um,
1: you said uh, kind of in our outline here in our notes here, we talked a little bit about new facilities, and you would mentioned it as well here. So it sounds like you're putting up a, a new meat goat facility, if I heard correctly
2: there. Oh, it's exciting. We have built a brand new slaughter facility. We're getting ready to open it. We've hired a a staff member that's coming in with a lot of experience with uh, custom processing and she is ready to jump into the goats. And of course, with that, we're also going to be trying to develop like a a meat goat judging or a meat judging class for the students and things like that. So a lot of opportunities there. Uh, Also, that will be a a USDA inspected station, so we'll be able to sell the meat from there. Uh, most of it's going to come here from the from the goat herd. In addition to that, we are in the process of renovating our dairy, trying to upgrade it so that um, we get the milking equipment that kind of matches the fancy feeding equipment, so that you know we can measure what goes into the goat and what comes out of the goat. Um, plus, installing a micro dairy so we can actually again have a saleable product produced right on the farm. Um, and then the third leg of that is working with Texas A&M University. We are building a brand new veterinary treatments facility. That's um, hopefully going to open up in about two years now that will greatly expand our ability to to teach and to treat our animals down here. So that's three big deals that are building on the Goat Center right now.
0: Did you ever think you'd see this come to fruition when you first started on this project?
2: No. <laughs> Those kinds of things have been promised for years and years. And we, I mean, the center is 40 years old and it's getting a little ragged around some of the edges. And there's there's been a lot of years of, of uh, neglected maintenance and things like that. So we're, we're really working at getting all our facilities back in order um, so that when we have these new things, everything is going to be top notch again.
0: So I can just picture this, this meat processing, not that, you know, Not that that's our focus for this podcast, but goat meat is a byproduct of every dairy program. So I love the idea that not only will you have a top-notch processing facility there, but you're probably going to teach people how to do it the right way. You know, so so the cuts of meat are the tenderest that they can be and, you know, come up with great ideas for cooking it and using goat meat in, in new and innovative ways. I can just see so much that could come out of that.
2: That's what we're hoping for. Yes.
0: That's really exciting. So as part of your micro dairy, um, fluid milk, or are you going to delve into cheese or yogurt or. Um,
2: Everybody down here seems to want ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you, need
0: to get, you need to get in touch with our friend Stacy, who has those wonderful um, goat milk popsicles.
2: Stacey's about forty miles down the road. We, okay. we are in, in communication often.
0: <laughs> oh, very cool! There you go. <laughs> ice cream, goat milk ice cream. That's all right. That's pretty cool. Yeah,
2: yeah. we'll be able to do, do everything. But I think that's that's what the real interest from the from the college and from the the people that are funding this. They say we want to have something that we can store and keep and you know have available all the time. Which oh. just regular like milk just is not any of those things
0: right (laughs) Right. yeah
1: yeah i think the ice cream thing at iowa state actually they put a a dairy that's or a a ice cream parlor in that the cow's milk actually goes to so and it's a big hit on campus um but i'm most excited about is just having the ability to buy goat meat because i feel like um especially maybe in my area where it might not be popular necessarily um goat meat is not necessarily easily available to get in the supermarket
2: no, it's not. It's not in the the big supermarkets. You're going to find it at the the ethnic markets, the Whole Foods, places like that. Because uh, we ship a lot of goats that direction, um, but it, it's not in the mainstream market yet.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's what I find as well there. But that's that's awesome. There, I'm really excited. That that's just, gosh, I guess it gets me excited about kind of the future of goats, and especially really excited um, just. To, to hear what's happening down there. And it's always fun to see Fed or excuse me, funding actually go towards really things that get you uh, excited.
0: So Scott, talk a little bit about the work that you do with youth. Um, not maybe college, but maybe 4 h age.
2: We have a couple of programs that, you know, we've been running them for a long time that I'm really, really proud of. Uh, the first of these is, is kind of a kid giveaway program. Um, uh, it started actually before I got here, you know which makes it older than dirt that uh, you know over thirty five years this program's been running, we've probably gotten three to four hundred kids started with dairy goat projects in the state of Texas. Uh, wow, it's made a huge impact, and you know some of those kids I see them now, and of course, it's their kids are coming back and and getting goats from me, which you know makes me feel kind of old. Uh, but <laughs> That I've, that I've known some of these people since they were kids, and now they're my they're our co-breeders, and, and, you know, the people that I, I show with and exhibit with and, and work with is just awesome. Um, and that's the that's program that's still ongoing. That's uh, The kids get the goats, and they sign a contract that they're going to do their 4-H record book. They're going to exhibit the animal. They're going to breed them, and then they're going to pass the kid on to somebody in their, in their area. And that's kind of their commitment to the, to the program. So it, it really is kind of self-feeding. You know, I don't know how many goats out of that 300 and some goats that I've given away, I don't know how many people have actually been influenced. It'd be hard to track. The wow. other thing that we do is the, uh, we host the state goat judging contest here. So Texas is one of those that does have a, a full-blown authentic state contest which we did, you know, we started out with dairy goats. And then when the boards got here, we started doing meat goats. And now we also will do some classes with uh, myotonic goats, pygmy goats, uh, silky goats, all of those ideas to get, you know, produce people that can go to a county fair and knowledgeably judge goats. Um, Because so many times, you know, they grab the sheep judge, they grab the beef judge and they throw the goats at them. And there's just, you know, Sometimes it doesn't work out so well for the kids. And again, this is something that we've had a lot of commitment. I've had uh, several of the young people that have gone through the program uh, are now current and past American Dairy Goat Association judges, uh, also American Borgo Goat Association, American Meat Goat Association judges have, have all been, uh, have come through this program. So it really has been uh, kind of a, a really good deal down here.
1: Wow. That's, that's awesome because I know I look at a myotonic goat and I just, I, I run for the hills. Um, that's, <laughs> um, well, that's, that's incredible there. Where do you, do you have a large kind of, i call it other goat population down there. Where do you source those animals from?
2: Pretty much. I mean, the dairy goats have been here pretty much since the, a lot of them since the original imports, uh, primarily if you want to go back into some old, old, uh, herd books, popular hills and cadillac were the behind most of our goats if you go back to the, the mid 70s uh, what about but, the oh, oh,
1: go, ahead. Oh, go ahead oh i was going to ask the goats for the judging contest the myotonics and the and the oh. um, yeah
2: the, those is, we're getting a lot of community support for those because you know those those small breeds and those kind of of uh, fringe breeds are super happy to become part of a contest where the youth are being taught how to look at them properly. Um, so the, the pygmy goat breeders, the myotonic, the silky breeders have been just super about, about coming in with animals for the kids to look at and, and be evaluated. And from here, of course we provide the dairy goats, you know, kids may get tired of looking at Alpines, but. that's what I
1: have. <laughs> Well, I I'm never tired of looking at Alpines. I don't think Lori is either. Nope. 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 <laughs> All day long. All day long. Uh, Scott, you also do a lot of judging. You're an to judge. You do a lot of judging and especially down in the South. Um, that's where I first met you. And, and I think at a Louisiana goat show actually. Um, mm-hmm.
2: But uh, you do a lot of youth judging when you say that. A um, fair amount. Yeah. It's it's a lot of fun. I mean, you know, I was, I was a product of 4-H. I'm one of those that, that kind of grew up in 4-H. We had a spectacular 4-H program um, that I was involved in. You know, when you have a club that's produced, multiple judges, you walk into the county fair and you realize that there's a current and a past national champion and four or five All-Americans of three different breeds uh, <laughs> looking at you in the in the, uh, in the youth show ring. That was the kind of competition I, I learned from. Ouch!
1: Yeah. And Scott, just for the listeners, uh, interest here, what County uh, and what 4-H club, uh, and what state were you in?
2: Uh, I was up in Washington, uh, South Washington, Vancouver area is where I, where I grew up Clark County. Um, so we had, you know, we had an ADGA director that was our, our club advisor. And then, uh, I think there was that I know of, uh, Two current judges that were in the group with me, or myself and, and another one, um, that we grew up competing, Dr. Lori Acton and I were, were in the same 4-H club back years and years ago. So you know what I got to look at was the back of a lot of goats.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you still like alpine, so there you go. <laughs> oh yeah,
2: <clears throat> they're my breed of choice. We've We've had all breeds down here for the most part. Um, the alpines just kind of did well down here. Uh, and then when the scientists said, you need to pick a breed because we have too much variability, you know, there was like 100 alpines and 30 pretty nice La Manchas and about 20 Nubians. So we picked the alpines and let the other ones go. And I think that probably at least one of those is coming back, I you know, as we start to do more dairy work, you know, the importance of having an animal with an extended breeding season with a different uh, milk composition, Uh, Then the Alpines is going to get more and more important. So I'm kind of pushing for La Manche's. uh, We'll see, because everybody down here still thinks they kind of look like aliens.
0: (laughs) I thought you were going to say the Nubian word there. I thought you were getting Nubians. So. (laughs) <laughs> aliens yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> um yeah i agree on the alpine side isn't it kind of fun genetic wise is you got to kind of pick and choose what you bring in and 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 be the genetic mastermind to, you know 125 150 goats there
2: it really is that's that's the fun thing is i can one of the nice things about judging and courses i do see goats all around the country uh, and it gives me a chance to to find the animals that I like, the style that I like, what I'm looking for as far as production and, and confirmation that I think are going to work on our herd and then bring somebody in and really test these bucks out. Uh, you know, I can breed them to, you know, 25, 30 does in a year with no problem and you get a chance to look at those kids. You know, this, this year I'm finding out that I actually have a really good udder buck, which is kind of fun.
0: I was going to ask how many, so for that size of herd, how many herd sires do you usually keep?
2: Uh, We keep, I've got right now about six, six or seven bucks that I'm keeping, you know, three bucks out of this year's crops that are either out of my very, very best does bred to those bucks or AI breedings so that I can, bringing in outside bloodlines without necessarily bringing in outside animals. Sure. Um, we do buy, we do buy, I try to buy a, a new buck, an outside buck, uh, a couple, every couple years just to keep things fresh. Um, and then we kind of work in the beginning, we work within our own herd so much uh, because we have animals after, you know, 30 generations that they're acclimated and we know they work in this situation.
1: Oh, yeah. It goes back to really knowing your lines. And I would say after 30 generations, you really know your lines.
0: <laughs> so, seeing, so seeing 30 generations of goats there, um, I'm just curious. What, is, what, in your opinion, is the biggest challenge um, that you face in trying to fix things in your breeding program?
2: Um, for me, it's keeping the things that I know are going to keep the girls working for me. You know, keeping the good feet, keeping the good legs, uh, the correct rumps, the big wide pelvises, things like that. Things that we talk about in our scorecard and, and we're judging. Memory um, systems are pretty consistent. A lot of them aren't super showy, but they're solid and they work. Um, and we do have, you know, Cameron's come down to the to the rodeo and seen our goats, and we do have a few pretty nice ones that I can pull out of that group. Yeah, but then, it's- when the when the appraisers came through last time we appraised. Uh, you know, we did 80 goats and I think our, our herd average was about 85 with a range of about four points. We had one or two goats go over 90, but nobody underneath 80 either. So super consistent herd.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. that. And yeah, I've seen your goats and, and it's really fun to see that there. And I kind of want to talk about that kind of great transition here into your time. You are the superintendent of the Dairy Goat Show at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. Easily probably one of my top three shows I've ever judged. Um, truly an honor to walk on the shavings, judge on the shavings there. and um, It's, it's kind of where Catherine first kind of called me out and said, hey, you really need to improve your judging because she could watch me on live stream. Um, but <laughs> but um, uh, talk about, I guess, what makes the Houston Livestock show and rodeo just different. Compared to maybe a normal club show, or other thing there, and and talk about how much, uh, how big of an opportunity it is to give back.
2: Uh, Houston is unique. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's one of the you know the Texas Texas has these major spring shows, and the dairy goats actually were one of the the functions of the goat center when it opened up in '83. There was no dairy goat show at Houston. There was no goats at Houston. Period. And so that was one of the first things that was was put together uh, was helping to get a dairy goat show established. Uh, and since that time, it's, it's run really well. We have a, an open show and a youth show. It's, uh, there's a lot of prestige involved in it simply because, you know, you said I showed at Houston or I've got a Houston champion. Um, as far as the show goes, it's a kind of a mid-sized show. It's, it's early in the year. It's the first week of March. Um, so we have a lot more juniors and we have milkers and the weather can be anything from, from freezing and icy to 80 degrees. So you never know quite what's coming at you. Um, Yeah. But it's the, the volunteers make Houston incredible. Uh, you know, having a group of people that aren't goat people that that run and jump in front of you and help you haul animals in and help you set up and are, are so willing to, to work, um, And they're constantly saying, what can we do? How can we make this more interesting for the youth? How can we, what can we do to make it better? It's a really refreshing show to work for. And we don't, you know, most of the club shows, of course, you know, you live and die by your volunteers, but it's the same volunteers that work so many years. um, And it's so hard on them. The thing about Houston is that those volunteers are fresh almost every year. So you get all this enthusiasm uh, every year.
1: Oh yeah, I I loved it down there. It was it was refreshing there. And as a judge, you it puts you in a different place because you're judging literally you're judging goats that might have been milking for ten months, or you're judging goats that might be fresh three days. So it's it's definitely a different perspective, and you never know if one's just fat or if it's
2: pregnant. Of course, now the live stream, looking over your shoulders, it just adds a whole nother level to judging there.
1: Oh oh yeah, um, absolutely on that one there, but. In addition to giving back to the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, you do uh, some stuff with ADGA as well. And I know you wanted to talk about kind of the impact of the Jim Morrison Scholarship and raise some awareness to that. So do you want to talk about that a little bit?
2: A little bit. um, because So I I was a beneficiary of the Morrison Scholarship back when I think there was like two scholarships nationwide. I'm looking at the ADGA page now, and there's what, 16 scholarships available?
0: There are. There's Uh, a lot. Unfortunately, yes. The
2: deadline is April 1st. So I think we're going to we're going to go on beyond the deadline, but really, really encourage the kids to to get this um, involved with that. That money makes a big difference. Uh, for me, it funded part of my graduate work. And part of that graduate work was in mastitis and uh, prevention of mastitis, which really kind of laid the foundation, not just for the goats, but for the cattle in not using so many drugs uh, and as far as our dry animal therapy and things like that. So it uh, that scholarship has paid itself back many, many, many times.
1: I am a recipient also of the Jim Morrison Scholarship. I think I won it for th- all four years in college, actually. So uh, a, a great program. I encourage all ADGA youth to go and participate in a um, little longer essays, I will say. Um, but but free money. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, and just because you're an ADGA youth means that you qualify for it already.
0: So I think this this will come out like two days before that. So it, if you haven't gotten it done, you've got mm-hmm. enough time to get it done. So get get to writing. Oh yeah, um,
1: one other thing I wanted to talk about here. Actually, I have two more. I have two more things I want to talk about. But the first thing here, you've judged a lot, Scott. You've judged a lot. I've judged with you a lot of shows there. Um, how has your time judging impacted your uh, working with the uh, International Goat
2: Research Center? Um. Again that's the beauty of having a goat job as they understand. <laughs> uh, and it, it does it does let me get out there and, and, and look for things that we normally couldn't find and you know, I'm, I'm able to bring in, like I said, genetics that we would never have access to normally. Uh, they encourage me getting out there because when I go out there, especially with the youth shows and I'm representing the university, I'm, I'm a walking PR campaign for our program. Um, so they've been very, very supportive. Um, And like I said, you know, I work goats five days a week. Then on judging weekends, I go do two more days worth of goats.
0: That would be fun. That's a, that's a nice, that's a nice side effect of your uh, judging ability. And also combining that with work that works well.
2: Yeah.
1: My last question for you, um, Scott here, it's it's a little different. It's a little different, but um, traditionally agriculture was not really seen or or taught at a lot of HBCUs. Um, and Prairie View AM it is one of those HBCUs. So, what's it like teaching and, and doing research in an industry like agriculture, um, working at a non traditional school for agriculture in an HBCU uh, community? If that makes sense, if I worded that correctly.
2: Yeah, depends on how you look at it. We're, like I said, we have our students tend to be fresh and new. Um, a lot of them are. Are several generations removed from agriculture they're very much urban downtown with our biggest population draw is downtown houston um, so it's kids that have never had a chance to work with animals a lot of them think they want to be veterinarians at least the ones coming through our animal science department and you know a lot of what i try to do is is tell them there are a lot more opportunities out there besides veterinary medicine um, you know there's there's feed reps and pharmacy and there's chemistry, and all these things that, that happen when you have an animal science degree or a, an animal science biology background. And a lot of these kids are just completely unfamiliar with that. They have no idea. And often we actually get a lot of, of crossover students from engineering, from nursing, things like that, uh, that are kind of excited by the idea of being able to come out and touch a goat and do something. And then we kind of lure them in because we get the babies and then they get interested in nutrition or they get involved in something else. Um, And I have had several several of these young people kind of cross majors and decide, yeah, I really want to get more involved with this. So there's a lot of opportunity there in in kind of an untapped clientele. Um, As far as the work, I mean, we do do good science down here. We try very hard um, to put out a good publishable papers. Um, we are supported, like I said a little bit before, with some special funds. So we do have a little bit more leeway in what we do. Um, but then it, again, it all comes back down to the College of Agriculture has got, you know, an extension component, a research component, and an education component, and all of us are involved in all three. So we have a, a clientele base. Uh, again, that tends to be very underrepresented. underrepresented um, when you When you talk about research or interaction with the big land grant universities. Um, so we try to do things that are, are going to be geared to them also. We do, you know, the applied science, the hard science, but we make sure we also do the things that are going to work on the farm.
0: So I'm going to I'm going to show some ignorance here. Cameron, I had to look up what what HBCU meant. That's not a term that I was familiar with. So if you're one of our listeners and you're not familiar with that, it's historically black colleges and universities. That's what that stands for. I did not know, for example, that Langston, who I do my DHI from, is listed as an HBCU.
1: Yeah, it seems like um, a lot of HBCUs do the research. And I think, Scott, you talked about that a little bit there. Is there any more besides Langston and Prairie View A&M?
2: Uh, Fort Valley in Georgia, is where a lot of our parasite work is coming out of now. Um, I think that uh, one of the Maryland schools and one of the Virginia schools, I don't remember exactly which one, uh, but have the good ag programs that again, doing a ton of parasite work. Uh, that seems to be the popular thing or coming from them. And they are also HBCUs.
0: Lincoln University. Um, oh yeah. And in, in, there's one in Missouri in Jefferson city. That's also an HBCU. So mm-hmm. that's kind of, Interesting. Sorry, guys, I didn't mean to seem <laughs> ignorant. I just didn't know what that term meant. Oh, that's that's okay.
1: That's totally okay. There, Scott. Any final thoughts? Parting words? Anything we missed?
2: No, it was really enjoyable. Says you know, I really enjoyed the, the podcast you all put together. Uh, it's been it's been my ride into work, you know, on Monday mornings for <laughs> a good while now. Uh, it's it's uh, kind of an honor. I'm really happy to have been on the podcast. Hope that we got some good information out there. And again, you know, uh, if people are interested in some of the stuff we do, they can get back in touch with me.
0: So if they wanted to get in touch with you, Scott, I, I know that your contact information is, uh, for example, like on the ADGA website, if people wanted to get you to be a judge for them, is that the best way to get in touch with you in general?
2: In general, that is. Uh, we are... With a new, we have actually a new research leader at the center. We have a new research director in the college. They're putting a huge emphasis on getting us uh, worldwide web aware. Um, so right now we have we do have a, a Facebook page. Um, if you come to the Prairie View a University website and you look for the Goat Center, you'll get about a paragraph of what we do and two pictures of the of the goats in the front gate. But we're working on it.
1: <laughs> Very good. I, I found that website actually, Scott. So you tell them that their 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 worldwide web access is working. Yes. <laughs> uh, so look for that. Find them on Facebook. There. Any other? Um, do you have any awareness days or any public outreach that you want to promote as well here?
2: Right at the moment, we don't have anything coming up. The next thing that we we know we're doing, of course, will be uh, the judging contest, which usually runs the end of July. Typically, we do a artificial insemination workshop early in September. That's open to the everybody. Um, We're working on getting together another goat field day. That's something that we did, you know, for the first 30 years, we had a a dedicated goat field day and that's something we're trying to bring back.
1: As Scott, I cannot thank you enough. I learned so much today Um, and and thank you for really, first off, thanks for being a listener and thank you uh, for coming and agreeing to come on the podcast this week.
0: We've wanted this for a while, and I know you and I talked about it at conventions. So thank you for being patient um, and uh, for being part of our podcast. We've really enjoyed having you.
2: Awesome. It's been fun. Great. Uh, As
1: always, listeners, thanks for tuning in this week. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, um, feel free to just message us. Leave us a review on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts as well. Again, this will come out, and then we will drop – uh in 2 weeks. So
0: we will see you in 2 weeks, but everybody have a great rest of your week. Happy kidding season everyone. We'll see you in a couple weeks.